If something was something that we really disagreed on, we might have a one to 10 scale of how important is it to you um, that, like how important is this to you that we go your way? And if, if you say that it's a it's an eight and you know, for me, like it's important, but you know, if it's a four, I should just l let you have it and we'll, we'll go your way, right? And but once we commit, obviously we, we, we go full in. There's no, I told you so, there's no, you know, any of that stuff. Um, but you can't say I'm a 10 every time because that doesn't work either, right? Um, and um, and we certainly have stuff like that today. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll make decisions and, you know, I can think of a decision, the three of us, um, we're thinking about related to our product. And I was like, look, I disagree, but both of you think we should do this. And so let's do it. Welcome to The Dirt. I am your host, Jim Barnish, and I cannot wait to dive into today's episode. But first things first, a big shout out to our sponsor who makes this show possible, Orchid Black, Orchid.Black. They are a boutique consulting firm that partners with business owners to triple the value of their business in three years or less. Okay, so Aiden Mirzai is our guest today and is no stranger to growing companies having started three companies and built five products over the last 15 or 16 years with an exit to SurveyMonkey among his accomplishments. His current company, Fellow, solves a problem we can all get behind, have fewer, better meetings, plain and simple. In our discussion today, we'll dive into how Aiden and his team have been able to revolutionize the way teams interact and communicate and the challenges moving from one market to another. Before we hop in, I'd like you to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform to never miss an episode of The Dirt. Now, without further ado, let's welcome Aiden. Aiden, thank you so much for joining us today, man. Yeah, excited to be here. Um, I, I know we were looking forward to doing this for a while, so, so glad that we're, we're finally doing it. Yeah, me too. Me too. All right, why don't we why don't we start uh, with the origin as uh, as as you know uh, is easiest to do. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey building, fellow. Uh, yeah, I mean, super quickly. Like I've I've been like very passionate about like building businesses and entrepreneurship since since a very early age, um, and have done a few startups now. Uh, you know, one, I would say, call it successful failure. It was a failure, but it was a success because it led myself and my co-founding team to continue to work together. Um, then we, we did uh, another company in the online survey space, uh, grew to just under 100 people, bootstrapped, uh, had successful acquisition to SurveyMonkey, um, worked at SurveyMonkey for a few years. And one of the things that we learned, and, and basically Fellow, which is a company we're building today, is you know, comes from the lessons and the insights that we got during our time working at SurveyMonkey. Uh, but essentially, you know, the, the broad premise, and I know there's a lot of founders and CEOs in the audience, but like the way we think about it is all you have as a founder or CEO is the collective time of the people who work in your organization. That's your like largest lever, right? Yeah. And today in organizations everywhere, people spend up to 30% of that organizational bandwidth in meetings. So we thought like if there was one place where we could make a really big impact to really increase efficiency, productivity, save organizations time, it would be meetings. And so 
Um, that, that's what Fellow is. Fellow is the solution to the meeting problem. It helps people have productive, effective meetings, helps people spend less time in meetings. Uh, and, and that's really what we're focused on today. So I got a lot of questions on Fellow. I want to take us back to some of the earlier stuff that you said, because I think it's fascinating that you've been working on building companies with partners or co-founders for quite a while, a better part of the last couple of decades, a few startups, a few products. Just talk to me about what life is like, uh, uh, you know, in, in, in building and creating the different things, but with the same same co-founding team and, and, and why you've chosen to do that uh, with those people for so many years. Yeah, I, you know, I think like um, probably the major lesson that I, I've learned uh, in just building businesses and, and in life in general, it's going to sound super obvious, but something doesn't work, don't do it. <laughs> and then if something works, keep doing it. And so I know that sounds very basic, but um, I feel like it applies to so many different things, right? Like we think about just building businesses in a very agile way, in an MVP style way. You do little, you know, little things. If it works, you double down. If it works some more, you double down some more. And so, yeah, my co-founders and I, this is our third startup together, working together for more than 16 years, three different startups, five different products that, that we've built. And it's just, we're, we're extremely complimentary. We have a super high bandwidth language, uh, you know, working with each other. We've been through all the trials, the, all the forming and the storming and, you know, all that stuff. It's, it, it's just, um, it's really nice. And I know you talked to a lot of founders, but this is like such a critical, the founder relationship is so critical. So many, so many companies break up because the founders can't get along or something doesn't work. And when you really learn how to work well together with a, with a series of people, it's one of the most magical things ever, right? And so yeah. if you can find a team like that, that you really work well with, then you want to stick to that team, you know, forever and ever. There, there's so many studies on this, by the way, like I've actually like looked into this concept of like teams forming together and how important it is. Um, but th there's actually a lot of studies done on this. So for example, if you take a, store analysts at a financial firm and you take them out of that firm and put them put them in a in another firm it'll take up to five years for them to gain like the same status and the same productivity yeah. um, the only exception is if if they if they get deployed with their team so there's a lot about like finding the right team to work with and yeah and i think this is uh this is something that's known which is you know most of the benefits in in life come from compounding and so if you can compound a relationship for a longer and longer period of time, I think it just becomes uh, more and more fruitful. So uh, yeah. as long as those two will continue to work with me, <laughs> I'll, I'll keep doing this for a long time. Uh, and it's not just them too, right? Like I, I know Jim, you've, you've been involved in um, a bunch of different companies and like to the extent you can other people in the team, like we have so many people at fellow that used to work with us at Fluidware and SurveyMonkey um, and it's just great. Like we, we enjoy working with each other. We think they're awesome. And so, yeah, like if you can take the same team and work together for a long time, it, it, it's magic. So how have you, uh, been able to, uh, maintain that productive and positive working relationship with that team over the years? I mean, I imagine you, you obviously go through your own dirt or your own trials, tribulations, right? And you, you know, things aren't always good. 
but what what has it been that's been allowed you know that's allowed you to or any systems that you've had in place that have allowed you to really you know take a step back and maintain that positive re- working relationship over the years yeah so i think like it, it as with anything like the 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 first like the the first little bit is harder right because in the first little bit of any uh relationship you're learning to work with each other, right? You're learning what to trust each other with, who should be focused on this or that. So in the beginning, yeah, you're going to have some arguments. You're going to figure out like we should do it my way or your way or, or something like that. But then, you know, once you have a like once this plays out for a while, you really know like what I call it like the believability index, like for a certain topic, if we have differing opinions, whose opinion should we take? Because we know that like historically in this like class of issue, like this person tends to be more right. Um, but so, so that's something you, you develop, but in the early days, and I think this is super useful. So in the early days, um, what I would say is we would, um, if something was something that we really disagreed on, we might have a one to 10 scale of how important is it to you? Um, that like, how important is this to you that we go your way? And if, if you say that it's a, it's an eight and, you know, for me, like it's important, but you know, if it's a four, I should just let you have it and we'll we'll go your way. Right. And once we commit, obviously we, we, we go full in, there's no, I told you so there's no, you know, any of that stuff. Um, but you can't say I'm a 10 every time because that doesn't work either. Right. Um, and, um, and we certainly have stuff like that today. So, um, we'll, we'll, we'll make decisions and, you know, I can think of a decision that three of us, um, we're, we're thinking about related to our product. And I was like, look, I disagree, but both of you think we should do this. And so yeah. let's do it. Like it's, you know, and there's, you know, equally as many times where, they will let me like, because I feel very confident and passionate about us going a certain way. So yeah, I, I think like that's the key is just to have like a framework of when there are disagreements, how to address them. But I think what happens now is like, I just have so much like, and I really mean this, like so much trust and respect for uh, both Amin and Sam who are my co-founders and I mean, there's like, it, it's, I, I can't, I couldn't see myself working with anyone else. It's just like, I trust yeah. them so much in their individual areas that, yeah, what they say to me is as if something that like I came up with myself. Yeah, that's cool. That's uh, it's a lot of collaboration, a lot of, a lot of design around making things work. Are, are there any specific instances um, where you've, uh, you know, can you share any of the challenges where, you know, it's been really hard working through the partnership and how you were able to navigate them. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I think it's a, one of, one of the things that we, we thought about when starting fellow, for example, was, so the way that it works uh, is I, I'm, I'm the CEO. Um, Amin is the head of product. He's the chief product officer and Sam is the chief technology officer. So when starting fellow, which, which obviously, again, like we've worked together a bunch, but we had to set aside some, some like decision-making frameworks on how we approach certain, you know, decisions and ideas. And so it's, um, you know, it's easy to say that, hey, I mean, you're the chief product officer. 
Therefore, you make all product decisions and like nobody questions it. But the problem with that is that, as you know, for a software company, like the product is everything. The product is the company, right? Like yeah. it's just, so you can't really have like one person just saying, I'm going to do all of the things. And so the, the framework that we, we each have a, an important contribution to the, the product roadmap. So I'm very, you know, customer focused, very like industry focused. What's going on? What do our customers say? I love talking to customers, to users. I want to feel their pain. I want to like be in their shoes. And so what I bring to like that equation is, okay, like here's, here's like the customer viewpoint. Here's how we should think about like our users and the problems we're trying to solve. And so for me, it's important to get alignment on what is the problem that we're trying to solve. And, and it's not just like a macro thing. It could be about like an individual feature that we're building. Like what is the, the main you know, job to be done, problem to solve? And Amin is really, really good at then being able to say, okay, what is like the most practical, best way to solve that problem? Right. And then Sam's viewpoint is like, what is the best possible way to technically execute on that? So we each have a piece of it, but in the beginning, we didn't start that way, right? So in the beginning, we were like, we should do it this way. And you know, they would say, we do it that way. And, and, yeah. and, and we would have arguments, but then we said, okay, like, let's go back to this idea of the believability index. We each have different data flows that formulate our opinions. Why are, is my opinion different than yours and, and different than right. yours? And then we kind of figured out that, okay, our opinions are coming from these places. And when you put the three of them together, you get a really well-formed decision, but we just have to figure out like which part of that decision or information flow comes from each one of the people. I, I know it sounds like a little bit like, but when, when there is like disagreement, we always like to take a step back and say, what is the system, what is the system that is leading to a disagreement versus saying, they have a different opinion that, than I do. So we try to take like a system viewpoint, break it down um, and get to that decision. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's cool. And it's, you know, it's, it, it goes back to your earlier point around needing to work together for a while in order for some of that to pop out, right? It's, you know, you could have the all-stars in the room. That doesn't mean that if Michael Jordan goes over to the Pistons that he's going to be Michael Jordan in that, in that team atmosphere, right? It's, it's Yeah, it's so different. true. So right. true, which is why, like, whenever you're hiring, as you know, um, you know, the best way to hire is, hey, who have you worked with, Jim, you know, that you really enjoyed working with um, as a counterpart in whatever company? And if you can bring so much of, you know, the productivity of teams is the ability to work well together. And yes, you can get there with with other people. But if you can accelerate that because you've already built that trust, the working relationship, knowing how to get you know, the, the rapport, if you can short circuit that, like, I think that's the real power of teams because otherwise it'll just take a, a time, right? Like what if it takes another six to nine months to get to that level of productivity together? Um, yeah. And I think, yeah, that, that, that's the, the real magic. So you, you had one company that successfully failed. Uh, you had one company that exited this really small company called survey monkey. Right. Um, and now you're building your third you know, which, which success, the failure or the, or the big exit, would you say was actually more impactful towards you guys figuring out your, the way that you jived and the way that you melded as a team? 
Yeah. I mean, I, I think all of them contributed a lot and it's very interesting. Like sometimes we change, um, we, we like to say that, you know, fellow is a bus and we, we know what our destination is. And, you know, sometimes people change their seats on the bus and like, we think of it that way too. So in our last company, for example, um, you know, I, I, w- I was, um, I, you know, I played the role. Of, so I had a co-CEO, but I, I was kind of in the CEO role, and then uh, my Amin was in the chief technology role, and then Amin and Sam swapped seats in this company. So yeah. we do stuff like that too. But I think I think what the last company, I mean, it was a longer stretch. We're talking about probably you know post from start to acquisition was six and a half years, but mm. then we spent another two more more than two years at survey monkey right. so we just had you know collectively like you know probably more than eight year period eight to nine year period of working together and you really start to understand over a longer period of time who's who's good at what and then you let that inform the next stage so even as we think about it right now as as we're growing fellow Every now and then we'll get together and we'll say, what is the best structure for the company going forward? And mm-hmm. we are all okay changing seats on the bus, uh, having like different teams or departments rolling up to different people. And the only thing that matters is that the company succeeds. And then we try and get everybody on our team to think that too. Um, yeah. one, of the, one of the really, uh, one of the quotes that I really love love is this, you know, careers are not, ladders they're jungle gyms so you you just go like it's not it's not like this straight path up you'll do a little bit of this you'll do a little bit of that things will change and it's not this linear path and so i think that's something that we've tried to foster across the company not just like amongst um the co-founders but amongst everybody and i think like that's just a very healthy attitude uh to a company in the scaling stage so when you when you look at uh, I agree number one number two when you look at um, the success that you guys had in in exiting to Survey Monkey which a lot of people listening in you know that's like a dream come true exiting to a business like that right or at least at the very least they think it is that's that, that's their dream so you know what did life look like during that two year stint when you know after the exit right um, you know like what what did you have to do differently you know what continued the same you know what what lessons can you give to folks listening in about, you know, once you get to that promised land, you know, how to navigate it? Yeah. So I think for any founders listening in, I think no matter how much you prep for it, obviously we went into this wanting to do this and we were very happy with the outcome and it was all great. And there's many, many great, like everything was great about it. The problem is like when you spend, you know, and, and, you know, I was probably 29 when we sold the company, um, which was quite a while ago now. But the, yeah, the, the first feeling is, you know, your, your business becomes your identity, right? Like this is like yeah. the company is you, like you kind of like, you, I would almost go so far as to say, I, I don't know that I had a separate identity from it. And yeah. then you sell the company and you just sold your identity. So <laughs> who are you? So <laughs> you kind of go through this like, uh, existential crisis of, you know, who am I, what am I doing? And those sorts of things. So, so I will say that the next six months, like, I think it was like one day of euphoria 
Um, and then it was probably like six months of feeling lost, <laughs> you know, in a very deep, uh, deep psychological way. Uh, and then it's like finding your ground and then figuring out, okay, like what, what am I doing? What am I doing next? And mm -hmm. so obviously like, you know, the whole time I was at SurveyMonkey, I, th I think the, just from, um, you know, navigating post acquisition, probably one of the biggest mistakes that I made was it probably, it took me a long time to really, truly, uh, put the survey monkey hat on. And what I mean by that is like, you know, I was still focused on, you know, our product, our team. And even though if you asked me that, I wouldn't have like told you this specifically, but like, it just took me a while to say, no, like we're no longer that other company. And, you know, we were two comp companies competing, right? And we had a slightly different approach. We were more enterprise and, and SurveyMonkey at the time was not. And, um, yeah, it just took me a while to just realize that, no, now we, like, we're a different company and this is what we're doing. And as a result, I have to, to play that game and really be the person that bridges the gap between, you know, our employee base and everybody else. And so I think it, that probably took me longer than it should have to realize. So that's one thing you realize that like, you are no longer, uh, you know, the CEO, you're no longer the founder. And now your mission is to make the new company successful and like really truly own that. Yeah. So that that's probably like the, the biggest lesson that I learned. Um, and yeah. And then the other part was, you know, couldn't wait to go back and do it again. So here we are. <laughs> yeah, here we are. And you guys are doing some pretty awesome work at fellow. You've, um, you've been now at it for about how long? Yeah. So, um, the, like we co incorporated the company earlier in 2017, but we, what we started building is not what we do today. So there's a pivot in the middle. And uh, I would say the current version of Fellow we launched in, I would say, end of 2019. So, so this product's probably been in market close to four years. So was this a, was this a pivot in strategy, business model, price? Like what, what, what sort of pivot are we, are we talking about here? Um, yeah, it, I, I think it was a pivot in, in, in the product uh, completely. You know, I, I don't know how useful this is for anybody, anybody listening, trying to figure out what their next gig is or like the next company they want to found is, but the, and I get the ask all the time. So it's, you know, people who have sold companies or want to do their next thing. Uh, I get to talk to a lot of people like that and, you know, my learnings from, from that period were that the well, when we started the first company, like I, I did, I did no research. We did no research. We didn't, we didn't so much a look at to see how many other online survey companies there were, because if we had done so, so much as a Google search, it would have probably dissuaded us and we would have never started that company. Yeah. Uh, we knew, we knew about SurveyMonkey, but we didn't, we, we didn't do, do so much as a Google search, which is very naive, right? But sometimes being naive, turns out to be good. Um, but you know, the second time around, I really wanted to do my research, like going into fellow, I wanted to spend the time and, you know, the second time around, you just know so much more, like, you know, all the reasons why something won't work. 
Yeah. Right. And that's bad because you can stop yourself from doing mostly everything. And so I was, you know, we were thinking about ideas and investigating stuff and anything that we would found, we would find a reason why we shouldn't do it. We do research. If you do enough research, you're going to find some competitor somewhere right. too. And right. you're like, okay, well, this has been done before and you'll find all the reasons not to do something. So basically my conclusion from that period was I gave myself a six month deadline and what I said was that at the end of six months, I'm going to do the least bad idea and I'm just going to start it because there's a super high likelihood that whatever I start is going to pivot anyway. And I had talked to a bunch of people, even my, my own experience in my last company was, was also a pivot. And so we'd done so many pivots and I'd seen so many, uh, so many other businesses pivot that I thought what was more important was to start something because once you start something and you really start working on it and you really start talking to customers, it'll kind of lead you to the thing you should actually focus on. So for example, for fellow, the first thing that we were actually focused on uh, was we were trying to build a tool for managers. Like that was the primary motivation. Um, we were trying to build something that we were calling a manager's co-pilot just a tool for managers. We thought there was software for every part of the organization, but nobody had really built something for managers of teams. And so that's the product we wanted to build. And in starting to build that, when the pandemic happened, we learned, we learned a bunch of different things. So we had built all these components, but when the pandemic happened, we realized that actually of all of the things that we've built, the thing that people use the most and are getting the most value out of is everything that we built around meetings. And so when that happened, you know, we really had to take a hard look and say, okay, yes, we've built all these things, but this is the part that's working. I like to call it our Instagram moment. We had built all these features and then like, there's this one part that worked the best. So we kind of like cut everything out, reposition yeah. the company you know, refocus the product to, to really highlight and, and showcase those areas. And then one from being a manager's co-pilot to what we today call a meeting productivity platform. And so that was, that was the major, major pivot, um, at fellow. And was any of that out of uh, a lack of need on the manager's side or, or simply bigger opportunity, uh, in where you ended up? Yeah. So it's, um, there, there, there were a lot of, yeah, I, I mean, I think it was a lot of things going well together. It's, we were, we were having some success in, in the other area too, but it just turned out that in, in this new area, I mean, I, I think one of the, the big enablers for us at the time was to use fellow, you need to obviously use a computer. Uh, you need to use, you know, your phone, you need to use your, your, your laptop. And prior to the pandemic, you would have to if you wanted to use fellow, you would, you would have to take your laptop into a meeting room. You would have to look at your device instead of at each other. And a mm -hmm. lot of people did that, but we had a lot of objections to that as well, right? Like a lot of people would say no devices in our meetings and now yeah. every meeting is on a device. And so this was like a, a great enabler. So what we saw was just like a lot more interest, like the market demand was a lot more suited towards that area. And so we just followed, we said, what's the path of least resistance? And it, and it was a lot easier to, you know, tackle that space. And so we moved the company's direction to focus on that. And, and how has your team managed uh, to adapt and, and change direction and 
Um, you know, in the face of all these new industry trends, challenges, you know, pivots, how, how, how does how does the team manage to uh, to change and shift? Was that a hard shift? Um, so I think that when we did the shift, we were small. Uh, we were maybe uh, 12, 12 people or so, 10 or 12 people. So um, it's definitely easier to, yeah, it's definitely easier to change when you're smaller. So, so that's one thing. Um, okay. Now, like when we think about the future, I mean, again, these days, I'm sure you've had guests that talk about AI Right. Like this is a major, major platform shift like we've never seen before. And so I see this as like also one of the, the big moments where as a company, as a product, we have to adapt, we have to change. And what I find is the 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 best way to get a team or a company or organization to change is doing really good storytelling around it. If people can buy into the why we need to change, why it's important, and they can understand the, you know, the, the rationale, the logic, and why it's the best thing to do. I think people get, get behind it. What people don't get behind is, hey, we have to do this. This is what's best for our customers. That's just like a blanket statement. But if you can really, truly articulate and do great storytelling, um, then that's what, what makes the difference. One of the things that I like to do at Fellow, uh, it's it's a new thing that I picked up at Fellow. I we did I didn't really do this at my last company, but one of the things I do is every week I send a weekly email to the company, and yes, it includes some you know North Star metrics and and things like that. But really, like my purpose behind that that email is to be the storyteller of explaining where we are and why we are here. And like what next looks like, there's this great analogy. I forget like who I, who I learned this from, but you know, for the rest of the team, like when you're, you're a founder and you're, you're operating, like if you think of your startup as this, this bus, as I described earlier, you get the, the front row seat, right? You see all the things that are coming, you see all the scenery, and then you have some people that are sitting, you know, not in, not in the, the front of the bus. And so for them, and it's almost like a bus that has no windows for them. Right. And so yeah. they really see all the things that you're seeing. So the best thing that you can do as a CEO, as a founder is really sort of articulate everything that's going on around you. So everybody can also see what you're seeing. If they see what you're seeing, then if everybody had the same information flow, chances are that they would make the same sorts of decisions. So so the big thing is just building the context for the rest of your team and your company. And if they see what you see, then it's very likely that they will believe what you believe. And I think like that, well, that's part of the, you know, how do you get people to buy into something new and different? So what advice can you provide to other business leaders that, that might be considering a, a pivot in their own companies? Yeah. So I, what, one thing I'll say is that, the way that I'm articulating it right now is it sounds like we got some data and then it was super obvious and then we dropped everything. I told a great story and everyone was like, let's go. And then we shifted. So yeah. the reality was we got some data. It got us, you know, thinking there's customer conversations and we were like, should we do this? We told the investors that we were going to build this other thing. Like, are we sure that we want to, you know, do like there was a lot of back and forth, a lot of thinking, and we really um, did it a little bit at a time. So we started by changing our messaging and trying different cu customer conversations and directing 
things in a different angle. Then we started with a, you know, A-B test on our website with new messaging and saw how that worked. And so there were a yeah. lot of things. So I, I, I don't think it has to be like a, you jump into something new. Maybe in some cases it does. In our case, there was an opportunity to test this new way and then see if it was the right thing to do. And so we, we kind of eased into it at that time. So when, when you guys, you guys are now kind of become like a, um, you know, a leader in the, the meeting, the meeting management software space. And, and I imagine that the landscape has changed quite a bit since you started fellow. Um, what, what, what have those changes look like and, and where do you, where do you see the, where do you see the space going over the next few years? Yeah. So I think, uh, yeah, the, the way that we think about it is, because of, I mean, again, the big, big impetus, meetings have always been a problem, right? Always. Everybody's always complained about meeting. What, what, what has changed over the last, um, since the pandemic has happened, right? It's always, again, important to think about the why. So since the pandemic has happened, because a lot of people aren't in the office all the time, a lot of the chance meetups and, you know, the chance um, discussions that, that happen to happen, aren't happening naturally. So as a result, you have to be more purposeful around the way that you connect. And the way that you connect happens to be a lot of times in meetings. So what, what has happened is like the meeting count in organizations everywhere has jumped. Um, and it depends what data source you look at. Microsoft has some studies here. There are other ones done by other organizations, but you know, in some cases, me, people's meetings counts have gone up as much as two to two and a half X from where they were. And that's a major, major change. So when you think about it, the and way they were already, people, they were already they, crazy high, right? Yeah. Nobody was saying that I have too few meetings even right. before. Right. And right. so all of a sudden you've got this thing that is, again, as we, as we started our conversation, up to 30% of your organization's time is spent doing this one thing. Like what other thing can you think of that is that big, right? Like as a proportion across all the different types of departments. So I think yeah. what, what ends up happening over the course of time and, and the way we like to think about it is that meeting productivity just becomes a category um, and it becomes you know, a tool that you're gonna need over the course of time to make sure that when you do connect with others, when you do collaborate, that you're making effective use of your time. I think a lot of that will be AI powered. And I'm not just talking about, you know, basic things like, oh, it, you know, an AI assistant will take notes for you. That That's the super basic stuff. We like to think of it as, you know, you will have a chief of staff that follows you around wherever you go, helps you prep for meetings, helps you talk about the most important things during the conversation, will give you hints and tips on, how to navigate that conversation and everything else. It's like your, your, you know, your personal chief of staff that follows you around to every meeting. And I think that that that's what software starts to look like over the course of time. And I think uh, meetings are again a big surface area where where this could could definitely take place. Yeah, and I mean, you guys are number one meeting management software on G two. You know, tons of teams, tons of big companies using you guys. You know, productive team meetings, meaningful one-on-ones, collaborative meeting agendas. I mean, it sounds like you guys are 
you know, potentially on the, the leading edge of some of that opportunity. Um, what, you know, what, what is the end vision for, for where you'd like to take fellow? Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, the way we have to, I mean, this is an important topic, which is, I think you just have to, when you think about a question, like, where do you want to take fellow? It, um, you know, startups are hard as you know, right? So you have to have like a bigger motivator. I think like earlier in my career, it was about things like, oh, let's build a big company and, you know, and that, that sort of thing. Um, but what I realized is that, you know, to really be able to see something to a finish, you just have to have a bigger, broader goal. And yeah. the reality is like, if you look around, I mean, everybody everywhere is complaining about meetings you know, meeting burnout, too many meetings, not enough time spent. There are organizations that are doing things like canceling all meetings so that they can declare bankruptcy on meetings and then start from scratch. Like a lot of yeah. crazy things going on. And it's a real meaningful way that organizations are everywhere spending time. So in five years, if we can get to a place where nobody's complaining about meetings and we can look back and say that it, you know, it was because of a lot of the things that we helped do that that's the case and organizations everywhere are a lot more productive and we we've done that for the future of work. Then I think like that's something to really be proud of. And, you know, if we do that, there's a lot of people that we can solve that problem for, right? Like, so it is a like very, very large uh, market, very large surface area. Uh, but really that's what it is. Like all we're trying to do is make people happier at work, make sure that they're spending their time effectively. And we're, we're doing that through the largest surface area, which we think is meetings. Yeah, it's, it's terrific, man. Um, when, you, um, when you look at some of the biggest potential obstacles in, in, in driving that landscape and in educating the market and in creating a category, as you stated, um, you know, what, what, are, what are some of the biggest obstacles you foresee or that you've already been able to overcome in, in, in growing fellows? Yeah. So I, I think obviously it's like different problems at, at different stages. Yeah. The, the biggest problem in this area is that people, I would say like we're at the stage where it's an education problem, right? So this, this is a very interesting, you know, contrast. So when we were working on my last company, we were building an online survey product. We didn't have to convince anyone to do surveys. Arguably now people like there's just too many surveys out there. Uh, yeah. But, you know, back, back at that time, there was no one we had to convince to like do a survey. People largely knew that they needed to do surveys. The only game we were playing was to try and convince people that they should use our product, yeah. which is called Fluid Surveys at the time versus someone else's. Right. And so that was the game that we were playing. Fellows. I would say a harder business problem because that's not a thing that people are looking for. So what we have to do is we have to educate people that, Hey, you actually do have a problem, right? And not only do you have a problem, it's solvable, which not everybody even knows. And by the way, software can help you solve that problem. And if you're looking for a software to solve a problem, like, uh, we can help you do that. So it's, it, it's a lot more of that, like early education work and being able to articulate that. And that's just hard to do because, you know, for most people, they're just, 
busy doing what they do. It's their day-to-day, whatever fire that they need to put out. And so to be able to tell the right story to get people to pay attention to this as a you know, broad problem that is solvable with software, I think like that's the hard part of doing the work. So how do you do that in the education in the education process? You know, how much how much of your marketing budget or your go to market budget do you have to allocate towards towards the education phase in the sales cycle? Yeah, I mean, so this is a good question. And so we've been doing some of it. You know, when, when you check out our, our content, we obviously produce a lot of content in this area and focus a lot of content marketing. That, that's been like a pillar of the way that we uh, we do our work. We, we sometimes refer to ourselves as an education first company just to emphasize that we want to produce a lot of free content so that people can can read the content, consume it, and then be able to solve some of their problems. And of course, if they want software that's just going to help them do that, like we, we can definitely help there. So, so that's yeah. how we've thought about it. So it's just, you know, most of our marketing efforts are just around produ- producing content. So that definitely has been like a primary pillar. Um, the world of content is changing though. Right. So I think, you know, one yeah. of some of the things that we're evaluating right now are, yes, we've been doing things that way, but what does the future look like? And is that going to be like the best way to do things going forward? It's, um, we, yeah, I mean, you know, all of the AI chat GPT and everything else tools are like really affecting what people use search engines for. So uh, I'm not sure that that's the, the best way to do things going forward. It, it, it's a, it's a real question that, uh, you have to, you have to be able to answer. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's one of those things that we're actively thinking about and we're, we're trying to think about and plan the future of like, what is the best way to educate people in a world where search engines aren't going to be used in the same way? Yeah. Any, any early insights on that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, there are, I mean, there are insights, but like not necessarily proven. I, I think so, some things that will stay the same, um, if you, if you own a relationship with someone, meaning that you have their contact info, say that they're already in your product and, you know, you, you, you have a communication channel with them either through your product or with email, like that's something that you can hold on to, you know, forever. Like you can keep emailing people and like that can be a way that you can start conversations at the same time, everybody gets too many emails and there's too many newsletters out there. So uh, mm-hmm. you know, that may not be as true. Short form video seems to be like a, a good way that people are consuming content. And so that may be, you know, continue to be, uh, a channel, but maybe at, at least won't be disrupted in the same way as fast. So th- this could be another area. And, you know, u- ultimately like the best type of, um, education is, word of mouth. So anything that you can do. So ultimately, like, especially if, and again, most of your listeners are growth stage companies, right? So anything that you can do to use your current user base, your current customer base and use them as a channel. I mean, that is no matter how much marketing, no matter how much sales methods we invent that nothing's ever going to beat that. So I think it's also recognizing that and 
you know, maybe investing in things like customer service and support and training materials and like all the things that market to your own customers because they can be your your brand ambassadors. So maybe some of the spend that we traditionally spent in, you know, user acquisition, we we spend on customer marketing as an example. And so, uh, but but again, a lot of ideas. You have to validate, you have to execute and then see what works for your business. But the one thing that is for certain is that it's not going to be the same. And so we're going to have to reinvent, reinvent ourselves. You know, a lot of people I talk to in terms of creating a category are, you know, they leverage analysts, right? Gartner, Forrester, whoever it might be to help them create that category. Is that something that you guys are currently doing as part of your go-to-market or as part of your education strategy? Yeah. I mean, so, so, so this is a good question. Uh, we have not yet. Um, I mean, that, that may be something that we, we consider in the future. And it's not, it's not so much that we're actively focusing on category creation as like this business task that we have to do. We just recognize that it's not every company everywhere that currently thinks, oh, I need a, you know, meeting productivity tool. Like it's right. just not a thing that people go off and we also need one of those. We need a CRM. We need like an email tool. We need this and that. So it's just like it doesn't fit there. And it's not necessarily that we have to go and do these steps so that a category gets created. Um, and I know that you can talk to analysts and, and that certainly helps and that, that, that would be part of the process. But I think like by, by the sheer fact of like if we can build a product that really solves a problem that people will talk about, then eventually enough people will use it that it'll, it will become a category. It's not really like a thing that we have to necessarily define if we can, if we can make this class of software successful, then that will happen. And I think like that's, that's our aim, but you can't aim to do that. You have to aim to solve, you know, customer problems in such a great way that they will talk about it. And if you do those things, then one day you'll look back and say, Hey, there's a category, not only is fellow successful, but all these cheap knockoffs that, you know, aren't as good are also successful because this is a category and everybody needs it. And so yeah. I like to, the example of, you know, peanut butter is a category, right? Like there's GIF and everybody knows it. And then there's all the other things that are also successful and also make a lot of money. So when that day comes that when our cheap knockoff competitors also make a lot of money, we'll know that, you know, the category has arrived. The GIF of saving meetings. That's what I'm going to call you guys now. <laughs> Someone has to build it. So awesome man well this is this has been so fun today i want to close us off on uh our founder five so five quick hit questions about you and your growth and the the first one is what is the top metric or kpi that you are relentlessly focused on yeah so we focus on um our meeting hosted metric because it just you know we it's not about users that sign up but it's about like how many meetings are we making more productive so that that's what we focus on excellent very cool all right uh top tip for growth stage founders like yourself yeah so uh super tactical tip is uh i'm sure it's been recommended um on your show is elad gill's book um high growth handbook um it's awesome and <laughs> i I mean, you know, I listen to the audiobook often. So sometimes when I'm making a hire in a particular department, I'll go back and like listen to that section of the book again uh, because it's 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 really that good. 
Nice, nice. All right. Uh, piece of advice that counters traditional wisdom. Yeah. So if someone gives you advice, run away. Um, <laughs> what, what's, what's, what's much better than advice is, is to hear stories of someone saying, there was this one time in my company that these things happened and I decided to do this and these were the results versus yeah. you should go do this because there's no advice that is that works all the time. There's a lot of these like phrases that people keep repeating and because it's been repeated a lot, people think that it's always true, but there's no playbook to building businesses because if there was, everyone would be successful and clearly they're not. Well, there's a playbook, but there's so many plays that you'll never, you'll give yourself analysis paralysis trying to learn it. Right. Um, so yeah. All right. Uh, last one. What is going to be the title of your autobiography? Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's going to be fa fall in love with what you do. Boom. Mic and and, and so that, that's the, well, it, it, it's, it, it's just kind of lending. It's just kind of lending attention to a lot of people talk about find what you love and then do that. And yeah. I think you can search for a lifetime and never find that thing. So I think it's, you know, falling in love with what you do. And if, and, and if you can do that, you're going to put your all into it. You're going to do what other people are not willing to. You'll, you'll be very successful at it and you'll enjoy the process. Excellent words, Aiden. All right. Uh, closing us off here. You've given a ton back to our listeners today. So time for a little bit of self-promotion. How can, how can those listening help you out? Um, yeah. I mean, I would say... Um, if you're worried about how people in your company are spending their time and, um, and, and you think that meetings could be made more efficient, uh, you know, check us out at fellow.app. Um, I'm also the host of a podcast focused on management and leadership specifically. Uh, it's called super managers. Uh, so if you're interested in getting better at the art of managing teams and becoming a better leader, check that out. And uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn, easy to find, happy to help in any way someone thinks that can be useful. And yeah, I highly encourage you guys to check out Aiden's podcast. Um, he's, uh, he's dropping knowledge left and right. Thank you for joining today, man. Having you on the dirt has been a blast. And, uh, you know, we'll, uh, maybe we'll have you on for a part two sometime. All right. Thank you so awesome. much, Jim. Really appreciate Thanks, you having me on. You bet. If you loved today's episode of The Dirt, make sure you rate it on your favorite platform. And if you really liked us, go ahead and leave us an honest review. Thanks again for tuning in to The Dirt.